Hello, hello, and welcome to Temple of the False Pod, where our decks, they're not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. I'm Andy. I'm Bruce. And uh, today, we've got uh, a little throwback to Bruce's writing days. Bruce, you wrote for uh, the General Wizards public for what, the past like 10 years? Uh, yeah, something like that. I think it was about 11 years uh, oh my with, with a with a little bit of break. So I walked down memory lane very quickly. Uh, I did the uh, Star City Games talent search and uh, was promptly dropped from that almost immediately. I was one of the first ones booted. Um, then hooked up with two other contestants who hung in longer than I did, but uh, weren't much longer. Um, and the three of us formed our own website. We called it the Muse Vessel. Most people would refer, would refer to it as a blog. We hated that term just because it made it sound like it was just, you know, something the three guys were just doing just for, for kicks. So we did the, the, the blog for a year. And for one year, each of us wrote one article every week, like clockwork. Uh, we did a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We hit deadlines every time. We edited each other's work. Some of my favorite articles are still from that first full year of writing when none of us got paid a dime, but we had a great time. Wizards of the Coast gave us a couple of preview cards, which was unheard of for a tiny little, uh, a tiny website like ours that was producing content that was targeted at the casual multiplayer. Uh, so we weren't even targeting Commander. If your game involved more than two people, you were our audience. After that, we went, uh, all three of us ended up jumping over to what was at the time GatheringMagic.com. Adam Staborski was happy to come by and he picked all of us up and we headed over, over there. Uh, I did that for just over a year, then got picked up by Wizards of the Coast and did Serious Fun, their their casual magic column for... Uh, about two years, and then went over to TCG Player for just over a year, and then back over to Gathering Magic, which was now Cool Stuff Inc., and wrote for them ah. for close to close to two two more years. So it was a, it was Sounds a good, like quite the journey. It was a good ride, good ride. Yeah. So during that time, uh, and this is going to be the theme of the episode, uh, you had a series of articles. Uh, uh, yeah, amongst I a, that, I did a series of basically. Um, when you're as old as I am and you've played for as long as I have, you, you start to realize that a lot of the cards that you consider pretty pretty basic and pretty staple that do great things have been forgotten. Um, weird jank stuff that works just for that deck, but it works for that deck. So I started going back through my catalog of decks and some of the older cards and just bringing them to the forefront. It's like, here, have you heard of this card? And just would spend the odd article here and there talking about a handful of cards that were older. So we, Andy and I were talking. We thought, you know, maybe we should be bringing that. Maybe that's something yeah. that we should be doing because, honestly, we've got a different audience. It's a, it's a whole different group, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to continue sharing a lot of these older cards because, I mean... Yeah, especially where, I mean, there's, what, 30-some-odd thousand cards within the Magic catalog. I think uh, I think we can pull up a few here and there that... Uh, that you'll either never heard of or really haven't given second thought to. Right. So a couple of things before we get started. Um, one, we've immediately narrowed our field down because I wasn't just going to say, hey, let's just pick a bunch of cards at random because eventually then it gets difficult to keep track of what you've already talked about. And I don't want to yeah. tell everybody about the same card, you know, every couple of months 
over and over again. That's ridiculous. So Annie and I decided we were going to start with just black, and then we were going to narrow it even further and just talk about enchantments. So we're looking start right at, in the middle of the color pie. Right in the middle of the color pie and picked a random permanent type. Um, the other part is we're looking at cards that are 8th edition or older. So essentially we're looking at cards that are older than modern. The other key part was that obviously we wanted to give you cards that you have not likely heard of. I mean, I can go in the Wayback Machine and pull out cards like Phyrexian Arena. Uh, that, that's not really interesting for anybody. <laughs> We've all heard of Phyrexian Arena. So the other thing we did was when we found cards that we thought would be good, we uh, ran them through the, uh, uh, the Popularity Determinator, EDH Rec. And if as long as it, it was in less than a thousand decks, that's sort of what we were looking at. So, um, so if you're wondering how we decided this, that that's how we decided it. Um, and we'll see if we have any duplicates. I think we're okay, but uh, who knows? We'll find out. Yeah, yeah. You haven't seen my list. I haven't seen yours. Yeah, I w we wanted to uh, we wanted to surprise each other with this. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's uh, let's start this off. Bruce, you want to go first? Sure, I can go first. The first one that I that I was looking at uh, was Infernal Genesis. Infernal Genesis is a black enchantment. No kidding. Um, it costs six. It's four generic, two black. Uh, it reads, and I'm going to give you the oracle text on these cards just because um, a lot of times reading the text on the card does not give you any sense of how good the card is. Sometimes it's been changed as well to be much, much better. So uh, the oracle text reads... At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player mills a card. Then they create X 1-1 black minion creature tokens where X is the milled card's converted mana cost. Oh. This is a card where, one, you want more creatures in everybody's graveyards, and two, you want a lot of small creature tokens. <clears throat> Maybe you're running cards or people take damage when their creatures die. Well, everybody's going to see a ton of creatures dying because these are 1-1 one, one black minion creature tokens. They're, they're, they don't survive anything. If you've got a deck that requires a ton of sack outlets, your 1-1 your one, one minion tokens certainly get a better benefit there than anybody else's. This, this uh, enchantment really runs the gamut. There's a lot of different decks, a lot of different black decks that specifically are looking for what this offers. I mean, Vulturous Zombie and the rest that look at whenever a card goes to the graveyard and it doesn't care where the card comes from. So in this case, you're milling the card. You get the benefit from there. Sir There's, Conrad. Yes, exactly. There's There are tons and tons of decks that this works in. I even ran it in a minion deck at one point just because <laughs> I wanted, because it says minion on it. Um, Fan of the minions, Bruce? Uh, not particularly. The deck was terrible. <laughs> um, and quite honestly, if you're spending the six mana for an enchantment that gives you a handful of minion tokens, oh, and everybody else gets them too. Um, I wouldn't go for this card if if your goal is just to overrun people with your 1-1 one, one minions. It means your deck has to run a ton of high converted mana cost cards. And <clears throat> that's not really what you're looking for. You're looking for cards that you want for sack outlets. You're looking, you know, you've got a Ashnod's Alt and you, you want to really ramp up your mana. Uh, you know, even a four a four mana cost card goes to the graveyard. Ashnod's Altar, you're looking now at eight mana. That's really where this one plays plays well. Yeah. But it's all over the place. Six mana is a little high. 
while it works in a whole lot of decks, it doesn't work really well in a whole lot of decks. It works really well in a very narrow stream of decks. So, um, so I think this is something that you can keep in mind for that. Oh, and it's one of my favorite Ron Spencer arts. My first card on my list would actually go brilliantly with your enchantment. Uh, it's called Mortuary. It's a three and a black from Stronghold. Uh, it's an enchantment. And uh, the text says, whenever a creature is put into your graveyard from the battlefield. Oh, never mind. It's from the battlefield. It won't work well with your... No. Put that card on top of your library. So, Infernal Genesis, according to EDHREC, only has 444 decks. This one uh, has 407. Which, I mean, is just surprising. This is an enchantment that is a little bit slower than the ones that, like, oh, put it back in your hand. But any creature from play to graveyard goes right back on top of your library. Granted, that's not a May ability, but it's uh, it's pretty good. I mean, this is a, a bit slow, but, like, if this is a thing you're looking to do, it's essentially graveyard recursion. Um, and I think it triggers, yeah, it triggers uh, Sir Conrad twice. Once from something going into your graveyard, and then again from coming back out which is uh it's pretty sweet it's pretty nice four mana enchantment that makes sure that your stuff doesn't just kind of die forever what are your thoughts um just one caveat with this one do keep in mind sometimes you just want your creatures to die make sure that you have a way to get rid of this enchantment because if an opponent has a way to consistently kill one of your creatures they can guarantee that you never draw past that creature (laughs) so you can end up being stuck redrawing the same creature over and over which you know is wonderful nowadays because virtually every creature that you're playing has some sort of enter the battlefield ability and that's really what more where mortuary shines you just want to be careful that your opponents aren't the ones who are controlling when you get to draw this that you're the one determining you know when your creatures get sacrificed or when they die and whether or not you want them back um I guess if this had said May, it would make it a lot stronger. You know, you face like a board wipe. All of those creatures you have on the battlefield are going to the top of your library. Right. No, I mean, you get to pick the order. So right. there's there's that benefit. Um, so, uh, and, I, and I like that. Especially with, um, when you couple Mortuary with, with a handful of some of the other, other black cards. When you couple it with Phyrexian Arena, with, the, uh, with other cards that let you draw extra cards per turn mm-hmm. because when you're drawing once you start drawing into multiples once you're drawing two and three cards a turn uh you can churn through not only are you getting all of your cards back but you're getting even more but you're still digging down into your library and finding more more answers more answers more answers which is really what you were looking for in the first place that's uh but i do like mortuary i, I yeah i'm unfortunate enough i never had one and thus never or didn't often have an, an opportunity or a deck to play it in so yeah i mean this this would go great in my uh taste deck <laughs> get those creatures back to play them again i yes. think if you're if your deck if your creatures are generally small this is this is great because you can just kind of churn back through them this is also a great way to create create significant loops if you can have a way to draw a card whenever one of your creatures goes to the graveyard Oh yeah, because definitely. then you can loop it, especially if you're running it with with Ashnod's Altar. You you have to you know you have to work it so you can pay one, get two mana for the creature, have it sacked, put it back on top of your library, and work from there. So 
it's a nice part of a an interesting loop if you can make it work so definitely yeah yeah so that's my first one yep uh my next is forsaken wastes is that a uh, colorless land <laughs> <laughs> you would think so uh in fact it is a world enchantment um Ooh. now for those of you who weren't playing in mirage where the they're, the card itself they're like planes but older <laughs> yes a world enchantment's a little different in that you can only have one world enchantment in play at any time so that means it, it's not even a case of you can't have two forsaken wastes out at once you can't but if you find another enchant world card that is in play when you play forsaken wastes the old enchant world goes away oh. and the forsaken waste sits um off the top of my head the only one of course that i the only enchant world i can remember is tombstone stairwell so if you play if you play forsaken wastes and then somebody else plays tombstone stairwell your forsaken wastes gets destroyed and their stairwell stays in play you can only have one enchant world on the board so it's uber legendary i guess however you want to set it up either way virtually no one is playing world enchantments anymore i don't think you're going to be too concerned about seeing this get destroyed if you're playing it but forsaken waste costs three mana it's two generic and one black it's a world enchantment it says players can't gain life ah imagine a game where everybody starts at 40 life and nobody goes above 40 life because you can't gain life um it also says at the beginning of each player's upkeep that player loses one life and Whenever Forsaken Wastes becomes the target of a spell, that spell's controller loses five life. There are all kinds of ways to abuse this. I am confident that people will find loops and ways to, <laughs> oh yeah, if I can just, if I can bounce it back to my hand so that way I can get a ton of life on my turn and then at the, towards the end of my turn, I can play this out, stop anybody else from gaining life and then and everybody else will lose a life, but I won't lose a life on my upkeep and and on and on and it's just like no 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 i, I don't want to do any of that <laughs> i want it to come out i want it i want it to hit the table we're not gaining any more life we're not gonna run, we're not gonna play this game where where we all sit at 40 and we go down to 35 and then we gain some life and we lose some life and we gain some life and then and then an hour is gone and the lowest life total is 33 uh, we're not going to play that game here uh, Forsaken Waste says we're playing the game and this game is going to end and everybody has to start doing stuff because uh, not doing stuff just isn't an option and I like the idea uh, it's also loss of life it's not damage so for the most part the loss of life is something you can't prevent whereas damage it, quite often you can prevent that in some ways so I, I like the idea that it just sort of sits there and moves the game along and honestly, most of the time, black's okay with that. You know, black is losing life anyway. And we've got, you know, and we've got a format where so many decks seem to demand or need some kind of life gain. And Forsaken Wastes just says, mm, no, 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 no. This game's, 40 life is plenty. You're, you're just going to have to make it work. And I love <laughs> that about this card. Love it. Yeah, I, I love the... Uh... I love the plays that force the game to move forward, regardless of how everyone is dealing with the board. Um, so many games just go on because nobody's attacking anybody, 
and this uh this does a nice job of of keeping it if not just like a it's it's like one of those auto scrolling ro- worlds in in uh, Mario yeah. where like you can't go back you just got to keep going yeah. forward and if you stop you're going to be pushed into the like water or whatever uh <clears throat> absolutely it's nice forsaken wastes uh coming in at time of recording 228 decks which uh actually seems pretty believable <laughs> uh, it is um i mean we are talking about i mean if if you've got a card like forsaken wastes it's there to move the game along um and which means that you're looking at black cards that you know that are going for the throat right away and you see less and uh, you don't see as much of that with black um you're not seeing these massive ramp creatures that go barreling in and you know i mean black tends to prefer to sit there and wait until the demons are ready to play and then even then a lot of times the demons are just there to sort of protect you while everything else goes on and you know i suppose death by a thousand cuts is one way to go but personally i think i would prefer to match this up with with some kind of a a quick a quick damage deck some way to really lay the beats on your opponents as, as quickly as possible so definitely yeah and like this works perfectly in an obosh deck where uh it's an odd converted mana cost and it would end up dealing double damage to each player i mean it's double damage or life uh double damage oh so i see yep man this magic game it's uh it's a uh it's a complex game it's a complex game um the other part with uh forsaken wastes and part of the reason why it's not as popular is that you know, a lot of the popular decks that have black in it right now are very much around the aristocrat format. Yep. This deck just says, yeah, all that life gain you're getting, you don't get any of it. So all it does, <laughs> so all the aristocrats then do is a damage to opponents, and you get nothing. And yeah. why would you agree to that when you? Can, it's an it's an awfully. Uh... That's a high price to pay for to add it into an aristocrat deck. So um, yeah, so I mean, I think you want it with something that's you know going to move things along much faster than that yeah it's awfully symmetrical well and that's the joy of the old school cards if you're going to make it work for you you have to be running with the assumption that you already know it's there and you built your deck around that idea so you know are you going to pay an extra mana for creatures with lifelink no why uh or 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 at least if you did you're going to keep that in mind before you decide to play Forsaken Wastes. You're going to max out as much as you can and then drop the Forsaken Wastes. I could definitely see this going into my Kalidus deck as another way to sort of keep things pinned down. Stop messing with the graveyard. Stop gaining your life. Let's just let's just get yeah. this done. All right, Andy, what do you got? I have a story with this next one. Okay. Um, this one's uh, from Tempest. It's called Endless Scream. Uh, it's a black and X. Uh, it's an enchantment aura. Enchant creature, Endless Scream enters the battlefield with X screen counters on it. Enchanted creature gets plus one plus zero for each screen counter on Endless Scream. The uh, the story I have yeah. uh, is when I first started playing Magic, uh, probably a few months in, I saw this card. Uh, and now the written text on this card <laughs> just says, Enchant creature, Enchanted creature gets plus X plus zero. I was playing a game against someone who was playing an Atraxa deck. Uh, Atraxa, essentially, at the end of each turn, I believe, uh, you proliferate. So you put this down, uh, or my opponent put this down and started 
proliferating. And I was so confused. I didn't even question it. I was like, yeah, sure. I ended up looking up the card later and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But like looking at this card, you would never know that there's counters actually involved. You can scale it as much as you have mana because it is just one plus X. It is just X and a black. Uh, and obviously in proliferate decks like Atraxa, you can just keep going up and up and up and up and up. Um, it's it's great. And it's only in 149 of the possible decks on EDA track. Yeah. And I, that wasn't a great story, but I was, in, I was intimidated. I was awe-inspired when I saw this happen. Uh, and I haven't forgotten about it all these, I guess, two years later. <laughs> um, the part that gets me with Endless Scream, and part of the reason I like the card, is you are left to decide how much should I put into X. Mm. We all know that when you play an aura on a creature, the temptation for everybody else on the board is to, to take out that creature. Because if they take out the creature, they get your creature, and they get your aura. And it's a two-for-one. And oh, magic players love nothing more than to get a two for one out of their card, out of their spell. And it's just, the allure is there and you know it. And even if they can't get rid of the creature as you're casting the aura, later, maybe they, if they have a choice of destroying a creature, they're probably going to destroy that one. Not because it has the <laughs> biggest power, but because, oh, I can get rid of two cards. Two, two cards. So there's always that dance with a spell like this. How much is too much? Should X be three? Because if it's three, then then the spell only really co- only costs you four. Are people going to counter that? I mean, if you're putting it onto your commander who's a two-two, and you're making your commander into a four-two, are they really going to kill that creature, or are they going to wait and see where you go? They're probably going to wait and see where you go if they can. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that balance in that you know how much is too much and when to go over the top. You know, as you get towards the end of the game, it's like, okay, I'm going to make X11. And I'm going to swing for the bleachers on this one. And if they don't have it, then they're just done. So that's part of the reason I love this card. Yeah, great thing too is uh, if you attach the Greaves after, you can still, if you need to, proliferate on the enchantment because the, the counters are in the enchantment itself rather than on the creature. Just a cool little thing where you don't really see many counters on enchantments. But on the other hand, if you're playing something like an Ozolith deck where you're trying to get all these counters on creatures and then get them onto the Ozolith when they die and then put them back out into the world, uh, <clears throat> this, isn't, this isn't your friend. But uh, it, it's a cheap little card that will get you exactly what you need if your opponents are, uh, are completely open. Um, Right. The card that I ended up running back in the day that, that reminds me of Endless Scream is Howl, Howl from Beyond. Uh, Howl from Beyond is an instant. There's no counters. You pay. This, it's the same mana cost, X and a black, and it's an instant. So you get the effect, but you only get it for that length of time, you know, that turn. So you don't get it as long, so it's not as good. But in multiplayer, you can also put it on an opponent's creature without fear because like with endless screams you can put it on an opponent's creature but you're giving that opponent that <laughs> much extra power permanently there's nothing you can do when they turn it around on you how from beyond uh works as a combat trick that you can mix and match all over the place 
Um, and it, it, it's also a nice surprise every once in a while. However, you quickly find out that it's not really that much of a surprise just because of the mana cost. Uh, the only time it's really devastating is when you're casting it for big and people see that coming from a mile away. They see something is coming. So um, that's part of the reason I like the endless screams. If you time it right, if you set it up right, this can be off. This can offer you a benefit for multiple turns. Um, a lot of times, it's even if it's only a benefit for one turn, it works just as well as Howl. So you've got that as well. So I think it's a it's a fun card, um, and it's also a quick way to give a power boost to creatures when you've got a deck that really revolves around creatures with a power of five or more. Or, you know, you get some kind of benefit when creatures with a high power die. It's a nice way to set that up as well. So Yeah. Um, my card, yeah. number three, Gravestorm. Gravestorm? Yes. Gravestorm is uh, an enchantment. It costs three black mana. And by that I mean black, black, black. There's no messing around here. Um, at the beginning of your upkeep, target opponent may exile a card from their graveyard. If that player doesn't, you may draw a card. Mm. So, number one, I normally hate cards that say target opponent. Uh, I normally hate cards that say on your upkeep because I want the cards to say on everybody's upkeep. I want them to say all opponents. But this one, not really works well just because of the way it's all set up. Because it's a target opponent and you're playing a multiplayer game, I can mm -hmm. target any one of my three opponents. Which opponent am I going to target? I'm going to target the one who doesn't have cards in their graveyard. Yeah. Because then I just get a free card draw. And this only costs three mana. Uh, I mean, yes, you're probably playing it in a black-only deck, but it's there. Obviously, as the game progresses, this becomes less valuable. Um, your opponent exiles the card. You don't. So they get to choose what card gets exiled. So yeah, they're going to exile their land. Or they're going to exile something that they can't get back out of the, out of the graveyard. Uh, they're not going to exile the card that they hope to target back into play. Uh, you know, if, if they're a land recursion or there's some kind of recursion deck, they're not going to target those cards. So uh, pretending that those are the cards that this is going to be a benefit for this deck is kind of, it's disingenuous because you're really not going to hit that very often. There will yeah. come a time where you might catch somebody with one card in their graveyard and then you can then basically force them to dump it unless they're willing to just give you a card. So that's an option. But realistically, this is you going after uh, after some card draw. And I'm not going to pretend that you're going to draw a card every turn. And obviously, the later in the game it goes, the harder it is to get the card draw. But in the right deck, you know, if you're targeting graveyard removal, th this card is just amazing. Um, when you're running a general like Kalidus that just exiles creatures rather than have them go to the graveyard your opponent's graveyards get pretty slim. Oh, add in add in a handful of graveyard removal between Bajukabog and there's a handful of cards that means your opponents would empty their graveyard. Even if you are emptying your own, I think that this is a, a great card that's going to draw you a handful of cards. Um, obviously, I'm not going to say this is any kind of Phyrexian Arena. If it was, you'd have heard of it. But I do think that this is a, a fun card from Odyssey that can uh, throw a little bit of spice into it. And you know what? If you've got an opponent who, uh, who you know, if you draw it later and you happen to be exiling a, a handful of cards here and there, um, you know, it's it's good for the laugh. So this uh, this card, uh, for those keeping track, is in 221 decks according to EDA track. Before we go on to my third pick, this is uh, the midpoint in our show, so I'm going to throw it over to. 
probably me reading our ad break. Uh, so here we go. Be right back. This episode of Temple of the False Pod is brought to you by Shizo, Death's Storehouse. It's me, Sheree, the caretaker. I've been offering mortuary services for literal generations on the plain of Kamigawa. We've been hunted more for centuries, when once we were a verdant field of wildflowers. I'm looking to retire and return my land back to its once beautiful glory. So now we're having a liquidation sale. If you do your business with us today, we'll throw in some samurai spirits to help add to that fear factor you've always been looking for. Think about it, and get these bodies off my lawn. And now back to you. Um, Andy, I, I, yeah. I believe we are on to your third card. What is what is your what is your next choice? My next choice, and this will be my final aura because uh, auras, you know, we know why they're not getting chosen very often. Uh, this is an aura from Alliances. It's two in a black. It's called Casting of Bones. Casting of Bones is seen in approximately one hundred and six decks. Casting of Bones says, Enchant Creature. When Enchanted Creature dies, draw three cards, then discard one of them. So, uh, pretty pretty easy include if you think about uh, if you are planning on sacrificing anything, put on one of your creatures, or if you, I don't know, it's it's a bit of, a bit of buffer, I guess. A wall that your opponent has to choose if you put it on one of their creatures that they're planning on killing. They do they want you to draw three cards, so it'll it'll deter them from sacrificing their own creature willy nilly if you put it on theirs. But uh, this is great if you are planning on sacrificing your own creature. You get two cards out of it. Right. Uh, granted, you have to you have to choose one of the ones that you drew. It's not like one of those ones where it's like draw three cards and then just discard a card. It's discard specifically one of yeah. those three. This is draw three cards. You're, mm-hmm. you're playing a black deck. There's a very good chance that you're going to be discarding the best card of them. If it costs too much and you're looking at graveyard recursion, there's there's not a real downside. Um, if you put it on one of your creatures, especially one of the ones that is uh, may, maybe not as powerful as others, that is more likely to be uh, thrown in as chump fodder, suddenly your opponents are a lot less willing to send their stuff in. This also goes really well in a madness deck. Like if you have a lot of madness cards, yes. you're going to be discarding it. So you can then pay for the madness cost and play it instead. Yeah. So then you'd really be, you know, actually drawing three cards. Yeah. As you said, it's a great deterrent. Forget about the just even the ability to put it on other people's creatures. Um, yeah. You know, if you're intending to kill one of their creatures and you just want to draw some more cards, you can certainly do that. Uh, I do think that this is far better uh, sitting there. It's just a reminder. You swing at me. I am going to block with this creature and draw. So, th- so there is no downside to me. Oh, yeah. None. Um, the whole downside of a lot of auras is that it's a two for one. It eliminates the two for one. You're drawing two cards. The only way that this is that there's still a downside is if, as you're targeting a creature, they destroy the creature because then you don't get anything and you right. lose the card. So the the risk is there for the aura, but it's not there in the long term because once the creature's enchanted, you're set, and they're now looking for ways to either disenchant 
the casting of bones before the creature dies, or they're looking at ways to exile the creature, or flicker, because flicker will drop enchantments off. But either way, they're, they're looking at other options rather than just outright killing the creature and dropping it into your graveyard. And, you know, this, this goes... It goes so well in so many black decks. I mean, you can put this on a 2-2 zombie. Token. You don't care if it's dying. So you just throw it out there. Throw it on a 1-1 creature. Especially if you have ways uh, to sacrifice your own creatures. This is just great. Because even if your opponent does try and do something that exiles the creature or gets rid of the casting of bones before they destroy your creature, you just respond by sacking the creature. You put casting of bones on there because you intend to see this creature die. If it's just happening a little faster, well, then it's happening a little faster. You get to draw the cards faster. It, it, there's just not a downside to this. I, I really like the card. Even if it never reaches the creature, the chances are you're putting it on a, a negligible creature just makes their removal that much more of a waste for them. Right. Um, and this is you know three mana draw three cards you just have to wait a little longer and you really don't have to you don't have to wait very long and you have to have some sort of additional effort i guess right um, but like you said you don't have to wait long at all you can play casting of bones and as soon as it enchants the creature you can then sacrifice the creature if you need the cards now you can get them now you're playing black you should have a sack outlet um <laughs> Say you sack it to uh, you can sack it to a sack, sack to a carrying field, sack it to Ashnod's altar. altar. Sack to you get two year mana back. Yeah, you can sack it to uh, there's tons of options. So this just makes sense. It's good in so many decks in that you can get the the card draw immediately, or if you're okay with waiting, you've got a de- you've yeah. got a deterrent built in. You know, if somebody had a card out that said when you attack them, your opponent gets to draw three cards. How long are you going to wait to attack them? You're going to try and get rid of that thing first. This thing is going to buy you turns. So if you ignore the game, the the draw three cards aspect, then this card is essentially reading, you don't get attacked for the next two turns, assuming that that's how long it takes them to find something (laughs) to get rid of the casting of bones. That that may be worth the three man all by itself. You know, forget about when they go to target it, then you just kill the creature and gain and draw right. the cards. So this, this, I think this is a great card. Yeah. We're on to number four in no particular order, really. No, there there is no order with this one. Uh, my yeah. next card is Liability. Costs three mana, one generic, and two black. Uh, it's an enchantment. Or Whenever a non-token permanent is put into a player's graveyard from the battlefield, that player loses one life. The idea behind this is mass removal becomes very expensive just because, I mean, when we're talking about non-token permanents, we're talking about creatures, artifacts, enchantments. It's everything that's in play that, that goes to the graveyard. I mean, and this is a loss of life again. This is not a damage. So keep that in mind. But yeah, so mass removal spells become even even more expensive for for your opponents in that not only are they losing all their creatures but they're also going to be losing life i always looked at cards with like liability with other cards like pestilence um Mm -hmm. so if i've got two or three creatures out and everybody else has four or six creatures you sink a couple into pestilence everybody takes a couple of damage you know a couple of creatures die so they lose another each of them lose a few more life there and then it's like, okay, now do I put a third one into Pestilence and keep going and going and seeing how far we can go? We're also talking about, this, these are, you know, these are permanents. 
So, and I know that black is not great at getting rid of artifacts or enchantments. Black does get rid of planeswalkers. Uh, mm -hmm. You do get a bonus there. And there's nothing saying that this has to go in a black-only deck. Feel free. If you've got something that destroys all artifacts... So when you're playing your Vandablast, um, you are taking out all of your opponent's artifacts. So then, that, then those players are losing life on top of the artifacts. It's a nice little adding insult to injury. Oh, and yeah. the other part is, it's an enchantment. It just sits there. And it keeps doing it and keeps doing it. So there's there's all sorts of options with with this one. I do want to stress that this says non-token. So oh if, yeah, I was I've been sitting here in the back of my mind thinking like oh how how would they be in my my Tesa deck, uh, which is token heavy, um, or if you put it in any sort of token deck, it generally becomes a little more one-sided. Uh, you don't see the effects as much when your tokens die. Right. Yeah, so if you're running a token deck, your tokens may be dying from whatever it is you're using to kill to kill all these permanents, but you're also not losing that additional life from liability, whereas your opponents right. are. If you were looking at, well, at something like Infernal Genesis, <laughs> that doesn't work with this card, because those are minion tokens. They are not non-token permanents. They are very definitely token permanents. So don't think that you're going to get to play Infernal Genesis and then destroy, you know, do a point of damage to all the creatures and then watch them lose a pile of life because of all of the right. the the minion tokens they have out. You you're you are going after permanence and you're making them hurt just that little bit more because of it. So and I I love that part of it. It gives it has that very it has a very similar feel uh, to the Forsaken Wastes in that it's that yeah. slow steady. You know, I'm just going to keep pinging you and taking you down just that little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And it just keeps grinding. And quite often, it never seems like it's doing so much at once that anybody feels the need to actually take it out of the game. The people who have their enchantment removal look at this and say, okay, yeah, well, it cost me three life here. Whatever. And they, they just... <laughs> Somebody else will take care of it. Yeah, I'm not going to waste my, my precious enchantment removal on liability when there could be any one of you know, hundreds of, of far scarier, immediately scary options coming up. So uh, quite often liability can, can sort of sit there and just keep keep laying the hurt. Yeah. So Any guesses on how many decks this has been in? Under 200. Uh, according to EDH Rec? Under what? 200. Oh, definitely. But 85 there we go um the reason that this is 85 oh. is well two non-token so that definitely yeah. limits the effectiveness and it and it limits how you can really use it the the instinct is to pile stuff with your opponents and then go after them but uh no um the other part is we are talking about one life at a time and it, again this doesn't just target your opponents. This also targets you. These are old school cards. You have to live with this as well. So you build your deck accordingly. Start thinking about making sure your permanents are mostly token cards. Or you're running decks where uh, you, you don't mind seeing these cards go to the graveyard. And you're prepared to lose a little bit of life. Maybe this is a deck where you're looking to add a little more life gain to just sort of balance off what you're losing from liability. It just adds to the interest part that comes with deck building. Andy. My next one. I was very impressed by this. Uh, it's called Noxious Field. 
It's from Prophecy. It's one and two black. Noxious Field says, Enchant land. Enchanted land has tap. This land deals one damage to each creature and each player. First off, great against tokens or X1s. You're giving up a land to have this repeated ability. If you have something to untap that land, even better. Um, <clears throat> it is sim uh, symmetric. Yeah. Why did I forget that word? Andy, I think this card would go really well with all the spectacle cards in Rakdos. What does spectacle do? Spectacle says you may cast this spell for its spectacle cost rather than its mana cost if an opponent lost life this turn. So, for example, uh, we've got Skewer the Critics. It's two and a red with a spectacle cost of a red. Skewer the Critics deals three damage to any target. You can tap this land uh, to deal one damage to each creature and player. Uh, and then you've got, I mean, a lightning bolt. Granted, you've already spent essentially a mana at this point, but a lot of these spectacle costs are usually more than uh, one. Yeah, you get a benefit beyond discount. Just, yeah, you, you yeah. right. Um, on top of which, you are dealing damage to each creature and each player. Uh, Part of the reason that I like Noxious Field is the flexibility for when you can use it. If a round goes by. And you didn't tap it, tap the land for mana. Mm -hmm. Then that card is sitting there as we're about to come back to your turn. Well, on the end of their turn, tap, do a point of damage to each creature and each player. It's just a bonus. It's one more damage. Sure, you're taking the damage, your creatures are taking the damage, but you know, your creatures are not the ones who are gonna suffer. Obviously, you didn't put out one one toughness creatures. Uh, you know, you're not going to have them die from this thing. And everybody takes a point, so everybody gets closer to death. And I understand it's symmetrical, but it gives you that flexibility. But more important than the ability to tap it at the end of your opponent's turn is you can tap it at the end of your combat. So you look at yeah. your combat and you say, okay, one more damage on all of these creatures. How bad does this hurt me or hurt them? And you get to choose whether or not it happens. And every opponent, when they go to block, has to, has to assume Andy's going to tap Noxious Field that they're going to take one more. So if you swing in with your 2-2 two, two creature and they've got a 3-3, three, three, well, if they're going to block thinking that you are going to get chumped and die, well, they have to assume that Noxious Field is going to get played. Both of those creatures are going to take another point of damage and their 3-3 three, three will also die. So there's that. Um, yeah, they might not block. So quite often they're not going to block. This isn't even a might. And it isn't even a case <laughs> where... This taps to do one point of damage to one creature. This is one point of damage to every single creature. When you swing in with a pile of 2-2 two, two zombies that, quite honestly, they're token creatures. You don't care if they live or die. This thing makes all the difference in the world. Uh, yeah. you know, and then on, on opponent's turns, if you haven't already used it, are they going to swing into you? Because you can now, even before combat starts, you can put a point of damage on all creatures. Again, I know this also puts a damage on your creatures, but you know it's coming. You know when you're going to play it. You're not going to yeah. play it if it's a bad, a bad situation for you. When they're swinging at you, they're going to think twice about whether or not they should swing. The other part, and this is the part that I love, a lot of your opponents are not going to recognize just how good this is when they swing at somebody else. Oh, yeah. 
And on top of it, it's sitting in the middle of your lands. They're not going to... Oh, yeah. A, if they're not looking at you to attack, they're not looking at your lands. And B, it's just like so muddled up in there, they're going to forget right. about it. And so when your opponents are attacking each other, they're not necessarily thinking about the math with the extra damage. Right. Now, they will after the first time. But quite <laughs> honestly, you're not building the deck and you're not doing this with the with the idea that, oh, they'll never see Noxious Field because it's in amongst all my lands. You're building the deck with the expectation that they're going to know this. You want to put this into a deck where there is less combat where you want the games to go longer. Because having Noxious Field out there means that so few blocks are safe blocks. Because it's one more damage. More creatures <laughs> are just going to die left, right, and center whenever you swing for combat. When Noxious Field says no creature with a toughness of one may be on the battlefield. Because you can just, you know, oh, that's easy. <laughs> Boom, gone. You know, yeah, sure, I take a point of damage. Well, so what? So does everybody. This offers so much, so much in combat. And your opponents are not going to want to swing at each other. They're going to go for the safe swings. You know, if they can fly over and hit for two without any blockers, they'll do that. Because they know that even taking a point, if their creature takes a point of damage, it doesn't kill it. Those are the only kind of attacks you're going to see in these games. Which means that these games slow down. So if you need to get your mana up to, to 12, 15, 15 lands before you can really start going with your deck, Noxious Field will help get you there. This is part of the reason I love this card. Uh, it's so when good. You're, you know, when, you need the, when you need the game to slow down, Noxious Field will slow the game down. If your opponents don't realize it right at the start, then you're going to get some advantage as far as with, with them losing some of their creatures. And once they do figure it out, then they're going to recognize it's not safe to swing. we got to get rid of Noxious Field first. And there are not a ton of ways to get rid of, uh, rid of lands. And honestly, how many opponents are going to burn a strip mine on a basic swamp? <laughs> that has a noxious field on it. That is such a waste of your of your land destruction. So the only way this card's going anywhere is through is is if you find a disenchant or some other you know right. th that sort or of player removal. removal. So yeah, I think uh, I think a card like noxious field is wonderful, um, and it also gets around that aura downside yeah. because quite often the downside is that they can kill your creature before you enchant it. It's much harder to kill your land before you enchant it much harder much harder um if you have any if you have most of the dinosaurs from ixalan they've all got that uh other mechanic <laughs> i should have written this down you know enrage is essentially whenever this card takes damage or is dealt damage right. you may blank uh yeah so if so you're running like, a bunch of enrage creatures you're getting the benefit before they even swing in yeah so uh yeah i mean there are ways to really make this brutal, and uh, you know, and if you're running dinosaurs, you're talking about these much, much larger creatures. And Noxious Field works well with those big creatures because you know when you're yeah. swinging with seven sevens and nine nines, you know, a single point of damage. The only time that make that's that's relevant at all at all is when your opponent is like triple blocking. And honestly, yeah. if they're triple blocking your nine nine, when you have a Noxious Field out, oh my god. They are in <laughs> desperate, desperate situations because you can then set yeah. it up so that you're dealing two to each of their three threes that are blocking your nine nine, and you're just 
wiping the board. Uh, it's it's it'll be ridiculous. Noxious field, great great choice, Andy. Thank you. And for those keeping track, in one hundred and fifty-seven decks. All right, Bruce. I think we have time for one more each. So that'll make it a nice round five for All each right. of us. What what is your final card? My final card: Wave of Terror. Wave oh. Wave of Terror costs three mana. It's two generic and one black. Wave of Terror has a cumulative upkeep of one. We'll come back to that in a minute. At the beginning of your draw step, destroy each creature with a converted mana cost equal to the number of age counters on Wave of Terror. They can't be regenerated. Now, for those of you who are new, uh, Cumulative Upkeep reads, at the beginning of your upkeep, put an age counter on this permanent. Then sacrifice the permanent unless you pay its upkeep cost for each age counter on it. So you play Wave of Terror. There's no age counters on it. On your upkeep, you put a counter on it. You have to pay one then. On the next upkeep, you're putting another counter on it. You now have to pay two because it's a cumulative upkeep and it builds. So each turn, you're going to pay one more and one more and one more. So at some point, you're just simply going to say, I'm not paying this upkeep anymore. It costs too much. And then the card goes away. And I'll be honest, when you're playing with cumulative upkeep, that's generally how you lose the card because anybody who's got the ability to get rid of the enchantment is reluctant to use it because they feel like this could be the turn when you decide not to pay. And then what are they getting? They've burned a disenchant on a card that you were just going to let die anyway. So a lot of people will let this go for as long as you're willing to pay the upkeep cost. So at the beginning of your draw step, destroy each creature with a converted mana cost equal to the number of age counters on it. So the draw step comes after your upkeep. So on your upkeep, you're going to pay one. You're going to put one age counter on it. And then you're going to destroy all creatures that have a converted mana cost of one. And then the next turn, you're going to destroy all of them that, have, that cost two. There are plenty of cards that will kill faster. However, keep a couple things in mind. Proliferate is a thing. You don't have to wait around. A couple of proliferate cards will take you from one way up. You can go ripping up fast um, <laughs> and make this count. Um, you're going to go after, you know, you've got a particular target in mind, particular creature or group of creatures that you want to take out. You can do that. And proliferate will also let you dance between some of your own uh, mana cost cards that you don't want to see gone. So there's that. Um, two, there are ways to get rid of age counters. So if you can set it up so that you get rid of the age counter, you can then go after all of the token creatures that cost nothing. Um, and quite honestly, that's fun. Um, I love that option. And I wouldn't yeah. be using Wave of Terror if the only the reason you really want it in there is to get rid of token creatures. Um, go, <laughs> af go after the big guns. Yeah, and I mean, the biggest downside I see with this card, other than the speed and the fact that it has a cumulative upkeep cost, is uh, it doesn't say or less, yeah. so you have to target it specifically on those players. Yeah. So like you can see it coming towards your you know six-cost creature um, with a bit of time. So it's, it's definitely got its downsides, but I mean, it keeps chugging along as long as you continue to pay for it. Well, keep this in mind. Powder Keg exists and has been played and is, is played fairly regularly in a lot of decks. And Powder Keg is essentially doing the exact same thing without the cumulative upkeep, 
but you have to sack the powder keg when you want to destroy all this stuff. So you're sacking it to get rid of artifacts and creatures with the converted mana cost equal to the number of fuse counters on the powder keg. So it's a one-shot thing. It's a one-shot thing. Now, I get it. Wave of Terror, most of the time, is going to be a one-shot thing. But there are times when it isn't. And when you could take out the one mana, then the two, then the three, I mean, a lot of times that's enough. That's enough yeah. right there. And if you, and then at that point, you can either just let it die or flicker it. Bounce it up. Yeah. All the age counters are gone. You get to restart at one all over again. So you can keep those lower mana cost creatures, which quite often are the ones that never attack, that have abilities on them that you just can't freaking stand. You can get rid of those and you can do it again and again and again. And you create a situation where you force somebody to use their removal on an enchantment that has cumulative upkeep. Uh, I mean, no matter what happens, you can always say, oh, well, thanks. I was just going to let it die next turn anyway. Because uh, there's nothing drives people more crazy than to know they wasted <laughs> their card. And let them know they wasted their card, whether they did or didn't. But yeah, that's that's Wave of Terror. What do you got? Wave of Terror? Uh, in 21 decks. Yeah, oh yeah. Which is surprising. It's not great, but like 21 seems awful. It's not great. It has the cumulative upkeep, which is enough to scare most people off. And honestly, it's from Weatherlight. It's never had a reprint. This is a card that is just forgotten. And as I said, there are other cards that do things that are very similar to it and are a little bit better. So So, my last card for the night, and I'll make this quick, because speaking of forgotten cards, I've got Urborg, Tomb of Yawgmoth. It's in 51,000 decks on EDA track. Andy, um, it's all land. Oh, you know what? You're right. I was looking at the wrong page. The <laughs> enchantment that I have is from Visions. It's only been printed yep. once. It's one in two black. So one black black. It's called Blanket of Night. <laughs> it's, an en- it's an enchantment. And it says each land is a swamp in addition to its other land types. So it's essentially uh, oh, hmm, Urborg, Tomb of Yogmoth, But instead of a land, it's an enchantment. It's a little easier to deal with. But for, I mean, it's 42 cents. It's in... So, Andy, remember when I said back at the start how we read the Oracle text because a lot of times the text on the card has been changed? Just so we're clear, the text on Blanket of Night reads, each mana-producing land is a swamp in addition to its normal type. And now the card reads, each land is a swamp in addition to its other types. I know that for the most part, this makes very little difference. But for those of us who play with Maze of Ith, um, for those of us who play with other lands that don't provide mana, Blanket of Night now means they do. Um, so there is there is a real benefit there. Um, and there is a bit of a downside in that they are now swamps. So there's there are times when you don't want everything to be swamps. But yeah. Right. In any deck that you'd be playing Urborg you'd probably want this maybe instead of because i mean i can't afford an urborg and all of the decks that want it um well how much is how much is urborg urborg tomb of yogmouth is a 25 dollars right uh blanket of night according to scryfall uh has it yep. listed at 42 cents um now sure blanket of night costs three mana urborg is a land but it's there uh, the reasons that you choose urborg is essentially for cabal coffers for other uh, items like that i like it for because i mean remember we're talking old school we're talking visions here so 
I like it for creatures that have Swamp Walk. Um, I like it for, uh, you know, I'm not looking at, at just ways to fix your mana. And this card definitely does that. But I like it as, for creatures with Swamp Walk, for, um, for other cards that give you benefits because other people are playing Swamps. Don't kid yourself, there are plenty of options. Um, Wizards, for the longest time, assumed that if you were playing Black, that was the only card color you were playing. So they did a lot of cards that give you big benefits for having more swamps. Uh, and they, they also went after that particular uh, deck style. So there are a handful of cards out there that offer, uh, that go after the player who has all swamps. So you can do all kinds of things with that. So keep that in mind. I like Blanket of Night. Uh, yeah, it seems solid. I mean, like, you know, we are getting to a point in the general meta of magic especially in commander where we are seeing a little bit more enchantment removal but still overall removal is almost dedicated solely towards creatures so i mean this this gets around a lot of that thought process of like oh well like it's gonna get removed because it's not a land i mean this card is i'm gonna go buy a playset. uh <laughs> um it seems i mean pretty good for those decks that need need specifically swamps. Right. When you're looking at the mana fixing, I especially like this this sort of thing in those, you know, when you're running a three-color deck. Yeah. Because um, it just it just solves problems. It's just, okay, done. And, uh, you know, and it's not replacing. Uh, there are a handful of cards that make everything swamps instead of. And those are oppressive and rough. Uh, and this isn't, this isn't trying to do that. This is just generally helpful sure you're if and if your opponents want to try and take it out well they're certainly welcome to but man it just seems like a rather innocuous card to go after when there are other cards out there that just are far more vicious you know to each his own honestly yeah. if somebody's burning a, a disenchant on this card i think that's three mana well spent so. <laughs> yeah this is going directly into my nightmare deck uh <laughs> my my 60 card it's uh four nightmares uh Three of these, and a bunch of left. You're giving me a look like uh, it's a terrible. <laughs> you do that, Andy. You do that. <laughs> I think that I think that's a wrap. Uh, I, yeah. Sort of a quick recap. Uh, my cards were Infernal Genesis, Forsaken Wastes, Gravestorm, Liability, and Wave of Terror. Andy, your five cards: Mortuary, Endless Scream, Casting of Bones, Noxious Field, and Blanket of Night. Um yeah well worth your time um especially if you're looking at more budget ideas um i i really liked this episode uh i i liked doing this research into these cards that i i mean i don't know about how many of these cards you knew but i didn't know i mean i didn't know four out of my five cards before doing this research so it's nice to just kind of get get my hands in in these uh these old stacks i guess right now to be fair, while I'm, I did mention the price for Blanket of Night, um, I really wasn't looking at the price for any of the other cards. So mm -hmm. uh, it could be that the price for some of these cards is outrageous, in which case, don't buy them. These are <laughs> almost all of these cards are niche cards that fit in a very particular deck type. Um, so yeah. just keep that in mind. We're not, we're not coming out here saying that you need to buy many copies of all of these cards and put them in all of your decks that run any kind of black. We're just not saying that. There are too many of these cards are just not good 
in a standard black deck. But in the right deck, oh, yeah. these are great cards. And you just need to keep in mind the kind of deck that you're looking at. Maybe you're running a deck that's creature light, in which case, uh, you know, some of the cards that I've listed might be just what you're looking for. You know, a little, a little food for thought. Um, you don't always need to go with the newest card. Uh, the newest card is not always the strongest card. It's not always the best card. I encourage you to take a, take a look at some of the older cards, not just the 10 that we've listed here, but there's a lot of cards from way back. Pick a small subset so you're not overwhelmed and just take a look at the cards. Just take a look. I'll admit with the creatures, you're probably going to be disappointed, but outside of that, <laughs> you're looking at some of the enchantments, the artifacts, some of the instants and sorceries from farther back, um, even some of the ones that you may not have ever heard of, some of them are truly strong cards that have just been sort of lost to time. I mean, especially if your deck does a very specific niche thing, there are definitely cards out there that will help you. Uh, I remember looking through with these these rules that we set in mind, where you know it's under two thousand, yeah. under a thousand decks uh, before eighth edition. I was surprised how many cards there were that i was just like oh this would be fun to play or oh this would be great because it's just they're just lost to power creep honestly (laughs) part of the joy at least for me for commander is putting out blanket of night and having somebody say what does that do because (laughs) the idea that there's another card even in existence that does what Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth does is it, it blows their mind. Yeah, I had to do a double take. I was like, is that saying what I think it says? Um, thank you so much for hanging out tonight. I'm Andy. You can find me on Twitter, on Twitch, at Andy Weekend. And I'm Bruce. You can find me on Twitter, at Manaburned. We're the Temple of a False Pod. Our decks are definitely not optimized, but our plays sure as heck are fun. Again, thank you for hanging out. We'll see you next time. Bye.